Hey there, Prince of Peace. Nick here. Just jumping in to let you know that during our midweek Lenten services, we are showing brief five to six minute video clips from the series Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The podcast you're about to hear is a reflection that followed the clip shown during the service. If you're able, we'd recommend that you pause now and watch this brief video. You can find this clip in the description below. So the question is, who is my neighbor? Growing up in a small town in South Dakota, I didn't meet a black person until I was in fourth grade. And even if you include the entire population of Millbank, all 3,500 people, our neighbors all pretty much looked like us, with the exception of a few indigenous and Asian families. So I grew up, I went mostly to white colleges, had mostly white friends, had very little exposure to racial diversity. Even after moving to Nashville in my 20s, I found myself not accidentally surrounded by white people, living in a mostly white part of town, going to a mostly white evangelical church, singing white hymns and white worship songs. Segregation was no longer officially codified into law, but I was living a de facto segregated life. My wife Amy and I moved to Minneapolis in October of 2011. Now, a little backstory with us, we're not great with money. Though we'd planned a move for over a year, we had basically no savings, and I, we had just planned to rent, to continue renting. That is until we started looking into the rental market up here. We had pretty much lucked into a rent-controlled situation in Nashville, which I hear doesn't exist anymore there, uh, and we had been paying about $600 a month for over four years. Moving north and renting was going to double that at least. So, like all sensible people, we looked into buying a house. It was shortly after the housing market crash, uh, and there were some very affordable pockets within the metro area. My job at the time only required relative proximity to the airport, so we were flexible in location, and the city was throwing money at potential buyers willing to live in certain zip codes. So that's how we ended up in North Minneapolis. We didn't intend to be gentrifiers. It was where we could afford to live. Once we started telling folks the news, we started to understand more about the affordability. Well-meaning friends and family would start sending us troubling data on the number of sex offenders within a certain radius, uh, a number of shots reported in the neighborhood last month, the number of free lunches in the local schools. That's a good one. One well-meaning progressive responded to the news of our moving to the Jordan neighborhood of North Minneapolis with incredulity. He was sure that I meant the town of Jordan, like 30 miles to the southwest. I don't think you want to live in that neighborhood, he said with friendly concern. It's very ethnic. This young man voted for Obama twice. Eight and a half years later, we're still here. I'm not going to tell you it's all been roses. It's been eight and a half years of learning to really care about other people through all sorts of trials. A man was murdered across the street from where we live in a drive-by shooting in 2014. Only a few weeks after that, half a dozen shots were fired in and around the house next door. Thankfully, only the shooter was hurt in that event, accidentally shooting himself in the hand. But it terrifies me to think about what an errant bullet could have done in either case. But still, we stayed. 
In 2014, we could have easily left. I was one promotion away from a six-figure salary, and while we still didn't have a ton of fiscal and financial responsibility, uh, we did have a much higher lo loan approval ceiling at that point. So we could have fled to the suburbs, perhaps even a gated community. And I'm not putting this down, believe me. I'm not hectoring or judging you. If that's where you are, that's cool. Except by circumstance, and I believe divine direction, that's where we would be. But in 2014, I was also going through something of a crisis. I had recently lost my best friend from high school to a deadly mixture of PTSD, depression, and alcoholism. My father also passed away that year. I had willingly given up my first chance at that six-figure promotion and took a lateral move to another department in exchange for less national travel. I didn't know it at the time, but God was preparing me for the path I'm on now, which is seminary and ministry. And I am once again thankful for our blessedly low monthly mortgage. So as you'll recall from a few minutes ago, our text from Deuteronomy, God commands care for the orphan and the widow. God loves the foreigners among us and expects the same from us, for we were ourselves foreigners in the land of Egypt, in the land of North Minneapolis, which is one of the very few zip codes in Minnesota where white people are not a majority. It's also the ancestral home of the Anishinaabe and the Ojibwe and Lakota, among many others. God expects us to care for our neighbors, to show love in the neighborhood. The world tells us to pay close attention to borders, national borders, city and state borders, school zones. The world wants us to care for our neighbors, sure, but in a very limited and literal sense, those around us. And we know that those around us are likely to look, think, and worship like we do. You don't have to be intentionally racist to not accidentally end up in a very white space. And I know this as well as anyone. So again, I'm not casting judgment. And I'm also not suggesting that we seek out token representatives to make our church directory look more diverse and representative. By the way, according to the last census data, Brooklyn Park is more than 40% people of color. We would be well served, I think, to reflect on why this worshiping body does not better reflect the diversity around us and why the ELCA churchwide remains one of the whitest denominations in the country, even in spite of our attempts at inclusion and acceptance. And maybe the biggest question for us is, beyond who is coming through the doors on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening, how are we showing love in the neighborhood? As Officer Clemens will remind us shortly, there are many ways to say I love you. Maybe it's showing up alongside our siblings in pursuit of justice and equity. Maybe it's affirming that the lives of our North Minneapolis neighbors matter without qualification, not because it's politically correct or provocative, but because it's true and it's necessary. Maybe it's offering sanctuary for those living here without documentation or for those who have fled violence and persecution in the place of their birth. I don't have an answer. There are no easy answers to these questions. But I do know that God wants us to wrestle with these questions because love is not safe. We can't control love. We can't bottle it or hoard it. We can't keep it for ourselves. And we can't guarantee an absence of risk in the attempt of love. Jesus went to the cross willingly out of love. The cross, which was a device of torture and humiliation, 
used by the state to try to put down what it saw as a threat to order. As Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, Jesus was not killed by atheism and anarchy. He was brought down by law and order allied with religion, which is always a deadly mix. And I'm here to testify today on behalf of my neighbors, many of whom have suffered firsthand the deadly mix of white law and order and white religion. Our siblings can testify to this pain if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to hear the names Jamar Clark and Philando Castile. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a familiar Lenten hymn, which some of you may know as a black spiritual, likely originating in the fields of chattel slavery. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? They ask. No. The answer is no, I wasn't there. I don't know what that feels like. I can only imagine, and the truth is I don't want to imagine. Imagining what that's like to actually suffer injustice at the hands of a state that wants me to remain a commodified being with quantifiable production value. I don't want to imagine that. But I need to. Love requires it. Tonight, let's open our hearts while we sing. Let's follow Mr. Rogers' example and consider the ways we can show love for our neighbors and improve our witness to the world. Thank you.